Father, we thank you for your your word, which it says um, flowers fall and, and, and the beauty falls and the, and the grass withers, but your word stands forever. And Lord, we we want to anchor our hearts and our minds and our souls on your word. And when your truth doesn't make sense, we pray that your spirit would counsel us and bring it to life for us in ways that we can't, couldn't even think of happening. So Lord Jesus, we pray your spirit would would call to mind the things that you taught your disciples, even in this day and age, in 2014. Make this book alive for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You're probably thanking the Lord that you scored tonight. This is my fourth message for in two days, so my brain is full. Um, But we're looking at the smallest book in the New Testament. And that is the letter, the third letter to John. So tonight we're just going to be smashing one book and one book only and it's going to be interactional. So praise God for that. So do you want to kick the big lights on? That would be epic. And I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible there or if you've got your own sword, um, pull it out, open it up, get your pen ready and when things jump out off the page at you, um, maybe not in the pew Bibles, don't write on them, but just underline a few things and and hit it up because um, I think there's going to be some good stuff shared over this book. So, introduction to this book is that we believe it was written by an elder and John calls himself an elder and it, it actually rings true with Second John. So, Second John is written by an elder and we believe this elder is John. So, there's no other evidence really to say otherwise. But we know that John is writing to different faith communities that were sprung up through the gospel spreading. So, some dates in your head that help is that, oh, did you see that they're trying to change the way dates are nowadays? So, it's not AD and BC anymore. It's BCE, before Common Era, and then Common Era. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to take Christ out of everything, don't they? Anyway, uh, just... Yeah, uh, it just annoys me. Oh, uh, 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 leave that one as just a social comment, okay? Just take that one on board. Anyway, I'm going to call it AD anyway. Um, so 30 AD, we know something significant happened. Jesus' public ministry sort of came about. 33 AD is when we believe that maybe Jesus, that's when Jesus died um, and resurrected. Hallelujah. And we're going to celebrate that on Sunday. Um And then after that, the church went through some significant changes. These guys who had become Christians suffered heavy persecution, really heavy persecution. And um, some of them were dying for their faith. And we've got these guys who are getting together and meeting together, but then going out, preaching the word, and literally thousands of people are being converted. Like this is better than, this is Billy Graham on steroids. This is the Holy Spirit. Right? Just converting people. People are just coming to faith everywhere. And what do you do with that? Well, they start meeting around and start talking about the things that Jesus used to say. And they try and spring them to mind. And then some of the disciples, like Matthew and John, decide they better write down what Jesus said. Because they're sharing it so much with people wherever they go, they're like, oh, you guys need to make sure you remember this 
and if, if Chinese whispers is true, I can say something to you, and then by the time it gets to the fourth person, it's totally changed the story that I shared to the first person. You know what I'm talking about? So instead of just going, all right, you need to hear it from me, you need to hear it from me, these guys wrote down an account. So we believe Mark was first, then Matthew and Luke sort of happened, and whether they were based on Mark or on Q, we don't know, but we know we call them synoptic, synoptic Gospels. And then we believe John was then written a bit later, around 60 possibly, 60 AD. And then something crazy happened. Rome was just sick of the Jews taking control. So he sent his army down towards Jerusalem and just persecuted the whole place. And 70 AD is just a massive landmark in Christian history where the temple was torn down and still hasn't been rebuilt. The temple where God's presence dwelt, where some of the people from our church have been to the Wailing Wall, um, that's the only thing left standing. Everything else is just rubble. In fact, other religions went and put their own little mark on the place, trying to make it theirs. So we have the Dome of the Rock, which is one of the biggest places for Muslims to go and visit. We had other things in church history too. But the Gospel was spreading. And so John writes down an account. Luke writes down an orderly account as a doctor, what's been said. And these, this Gospel is being spread and these letters are being handed around. So much so, we found thousands of copies, no joke, of the letters and the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when somebody comes with, say, a Gospel of Thomas, and they go, hey, I've got a real Gospel, this is the Gospel of Thomas, we go, wait a second, let's go back to the Council of Trent. Let's go back to the Council of Chalcedon. That thing is rubbish. It was rejected back then. And we've got thousands of copies of letters of the Gospels and we've got a few fragments of a couple of other ones that were rejected really early. I know what I'm going to trust. Are you hearing me? And it's not stuff that the big church wanted to suppress because it had some hidden knowledge that the church didn't want out there and, you know, the Catholic Church are all sinister and stuff. Like, God's Word is God's Word, man. You cannot bridle it. It's going to come out, no matter where. And that's why the Dead Sea Scrolls is one of the best like, verifications on the awesome nature of this Bible. It's because when they found all these scrolls later on, it verified everything we have. This thing is preservable. This doesn't suffer from Chinese whispers. Praise God. And faith communities are spreading all over the place. And they're passing these letters that have been written around so that they can still talk about Jesus and base their lives on Jesus. So these disciples are starting to get known for the way that they share their faith. And John is one of them. John literally spawned hundreds of small groups, small churches. He spawned them. He birthed them and released them. So he taught them some of the things that Jesus taught him. And then... You guys are just going to have to go for it yourselves. And like we know with Paul, he, he instructed some elders and he put some elders in place. But the church is just exploding. And this letter we get here, 3 John, 
There's, there's a bit of controversy about where it arrives. We know that it's dated somewhere after the temple has been destroyed because there's persecution happening. Okay, So we know it's after 70 AD somewhere. And we know it's probably before 100 AD. So we've got this sort of 30 to 25 year span that we know it's dated in. But what we do know is that he's definitely written this before he wrote Revelation. Okay? That's, that's what we do know. So that's what kind of the pins for us. So he's speaking to people that are trying to shepherd and understand what Jesus told them to do and be in community with. But the crazy thing about these um, 13 verses is that Jesus, the name Jesus or Christ, isn't mentioned once. And yet it's in our canon. Did you know that Esther, God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. And yet it's in the Old Testament canon. So there's something going on here why this is canonised. Okay? And I hope you're starting to pick it up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it whole through. I'd like you to follow it. And afterwards we're just going to ask three questions and I'm going to get you to turn around and see whether you can come up with an answer. Okay? So that's where we're going tonight. And then we'll land praising Jesus even though he's not mentioned in this book. Okay? So let's start at first one. The elder. So we believe the elder is John. Okay? To my dear friend Gaius, cool name, who I love in the truth. You want to, I think we'll chuck the words up here too for some of you who don't have your Bible. Thanks, Rosemary. Verse 2. Dear friend, so he's talking to Gaius, I pray that you may enjoy good health. I pray that I enjoy good health too. And that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, after what I just shared, can you pick up, John is feeling like a father to Gaius and to a whole lot of different people that he literally born again, like through his ministry. And he takes joy when they speak the truth. Now, who's the truth? Jesus. So he's indirectly related to this. So he's taking great joy that Gaius is somebody who holds to the truth. Then verse 5. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and the sisters, Adelphoi, that is, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name, Jesus, that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that they, so that we may work together for the truth. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, hey guys, I've sent some people out there who are working to make sure the truth is being preserved, especially in some of these new fledgling churches. And it's good that you entertain them. Show hospitality to them. Oikos. 
Koinonia. Show, show some family respect to them. Because they're out there and you're all serving the truth, who's Jesus. The name, Jesus. So, help some of these guys and entertain them. But here we go, verse 9. I wrote to the church, but diatrophies, who love to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Diatrophies. Can you say diatrophies? Ooh, he's a bad man. So what has he done wrong? He loves to be first. Okay? So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. Gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he, Diatrophes, refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So Diatrophes is somebody who's somehow risen to power in one of these new churches and he's gossiping about John. He's spreading lies about John. And not only that, when John sends some messengers to those churches to guard the truth in those churches, he places those people outside of the congregation. He excommunicates them. Are you picking this up? So he's trying to exclude John from having any influence on these children he literally birthed. He's saying, Diatrophies are standing in the way. Okay? Dear friend, verse 11, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon so we can talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by my name. So this first question I want to pose to you is that I I shared it this morning, I let a little bit out of the bag, but they say that 70% of our communication is done through body language. Human communication is done in the flesh. And now no wonder we get into trouble when we start excommunicating with each other or excarnate communicating with each other with texts. Sometimes we just misread each other because we're not picking up the signals that we're meant to be sharing with each other. Are you hearing me? So you can write an email in your mind that's saying something really nice to the other person but they pick up one turn of phrase that maybe wasn't completely clear And they can misjudge the heart behind it and what you intended for good, the enemy uses for harm. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Yeah, it's happened to me too. Why? Because sometimes when we get caught in this excarnate communication, the enemy can just rob you from something because we're made to communicate face to face. You know, discipleship 
is teaching each other about the words of Jesus, but it's also helping follow Christ and following each other. So Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So there before people, they had Paul as a life example of how to live. Paul also said to Timothy, Timothy, guard your life and your doctrine closely. So not just make sure what you say is very clear, make sure what you do, how you spend your life, how you live your life is really clear in discipling. So the way we communicate is meant to be face-to-face. Like, And there's so much that we can communicate face-to-face. And you know what? I hear about discipleship happening online in Saudi Arabia and in Iran, even in North Korea. There's, there's so much stuff going on where Bibles are being sent in, people are being able to still communicate ex-carnately, like, and, and the gospel spreads that way, absolutely. But in the end, we're still people in the flesh, aren't we? Sometimes we just need a hug. Sometimes to get past that whole communication barrier, we need to be face-to-face so you can see what kind of heart the person has for you when they're before you. First question is this. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do it with a pen and ink. I hope to see you soon so we can talk face-to-face. He's wanting to write a letter, not with pen and ink, but in communication, discipling communication. He doesn't want to get caught in the, co- the controversy of diatrophies in this letter. Instead, he wants to visit them and deal with it face to face. Can't we learn a lot about that? Not just spit something at somebody and send it, or spit something on Facebook and just let it rip. Sit on it and go and see him face to face. That's a pretty good principle. First question. Who are you discipling face to face? John had this responsibility of not just bringing these guys to, to faith, but actually making sure they were stewards of the truth. They lived their life in the truth. And that was by what Paul says is, Timothy, what I've entrusted to you, entrust to faithful men. It was in a discipling relationship that the truth came out. And for you, like you are wanting to be, I'm hoping, you picking this up, you're wanting to be a disciple of Jesus. And so to do that, we need to have relationships that help foster that discipling, that truth coming about, that, like we talked this morning to some people who know, that Jahari window blind spot that we have. We have blind spots that we need other people to speak the truth and love into so we can be more like Christ. We need that with each other. Some of us need to be discipling people who don't know the Lord yet. We need to be having mutual discipleship, people who we feel like it's not a burden, but it's just good hanging out and talking about the Lord with. And also it's good to grab somebody who's a couple of steps forward from you and go, hey, I just like how you live your life and what you say about this. Can I spend some time with you and you just share with me how you do that? You see how discipleship can be at different levels? So I wonder, in your life, who is following you? Who is who are you discipling? Why don't you turn around to a couple of people around you 
and share whether you think you're discipling somebody. And discipleship doesn't isn't limited by age. You could be discipling young people, if you, even if you're 12. So, why don't you have a chat with somebody? Are you discipling someone? If not, why not? I hope you feel uncomfortable. Can I give you another minute? Who are you discipling? Alright, we'll leave it there. Okay, some of you want to answer that question, some of you don't, and that's okay. Um, I hope you're picking up that as a church here, we want to have a discipling culture. We want people to be meeting up, shoulder to shoulder, having the questions with each other, doing Titus 2 living. Really doing it, and we're going to be talking about Titus later on. But they say that your life is like this picture, not like a box of chocolates. That's not a box of chocolates. It's a Lego disc. Come on, Bryce, you get an A plus for for church. Um, They say we're all living stones built on the cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. And oh, I want to try on Dorothy's shoes here. Red slippers. I won't do it. There's no place like home. Um, they were like a Lego brick. And you can really only have a meaningful connection. Some people are freaks. But normally, with eight people in your life, you can have a meaningful connection with eight people in your life. And sometimes, you can weight your life so much that you have connection with four people who are not yet knowing the Lord. They're not yet there. And that's okay. But really, you might have a whole heap of acquaintances, right? But I'm talking about four people who you're sharing intense life with who don't yet know the Lord. And then maybe you have two who you feel shoulder to shoulder with. And then maybe you have two or one or two that are a couple of steps ahead. But I think our problem is, is that we fill up our Lego bricks so much so that when somebody walks in the door and they're looking for a discipleship relationship, we've got no connectors left. You hear me? We've got no space left in our lives to have a meaningful connection with someone. And I'm trying to say, We need to pray carefully about the kind of relationships that we have with people because the way we steward relationships is important. John was trying to do that and we need to be able to steward our relationships well too. Who's pushing you on? Who is mutually firing you up? Who are you birthing literally like John did to faith? We need to prayerfully consider how many, what connectors we have in our Lego brick. Second question is John finds out through word of mouth that Diatrophes is maliciously gossiping about him. Okay? Maliciously. And then he says this statement, we don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with doing good. That's what he says here in Third John. So my question is, turn around to other people. If you were in, oh, no, here. How would you deal with somebody who is gossiping about you? 
How would you deal with them? The pimp hand? You get the pimp hand out? You've got to keep it strong? Why don't you turn around and share with somebody? How do you deal with somebody who's gossiping about you? Saying things that you don't like? Discuss. I'll give you another minute. How do you deal with people who gossip about you? Okay. Alright. So who said you go around and gossip about them? Who said you go and gossip about them? Good. Okay. We're mostly on the right track. Um, who said the way you deal with gossip is you go and talk to the person? Okay. We have some talkers. Who said we go and punch the person? Oh, we send, we send Lauren Corney and Ethan to go and kick them. Yeah. And Bryce. Yeah, Taekwondo boys to go and smash them. Um, no, we don't do that, do we? We, we go to them and we have a chat, don't we? Now, John is in a weird circumstance where he's hearing this stuff about what Diatrophes is saying about him and he's geographically estranged from him. He's far off. So this is like a pre-warning. I don't want to get too much into it, but hey, this guy is spreading these rumours about me. I'm going to come to you guys and I want you to prepare a room for me because we're going to talk about this when I get there. Smart John. Smart John. He's already putting it on the table. I've heard about some of this stuff and he's not even entertaining people who are my disciples who are coming up there to help steward the truth. So I'm going to come up there myself and I'm going to, I'm going to deal with diatrophies myself. It's a good thing. So the way we deal with gossip is we don't gossip back. He could have said some pretty crap things about diatrophies. Do you hear like he's, he's the son of a motherless goat? Or, you know, or, uh, you know, he could have just chucked some stuff out there. And people are like, what? What's a motherless goat? Um, or people could have, could have, he could have actually gone, hey, you know what? I'm going to come up there and I'm going to tear him another ear hole so he can hear everything that I'm going to tell him. He didn't say that. He just said, you know what, prepare a place because I'm going to come up there and I'm going to deal with it face to face. And what I found about gossip is it's like the wind. It's really hard to catch. And what people think about you, you can't actually change a lot of the time. People just think about you what they're going to think about you. So you, what you've got to do is, like Timothy, you're meant to live your life beyond reproach. You're meant to set an example. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in life, in love, in speech, and in action. You're meant to do that. To stop the gossipers. But you know what? I want you to take courage because Luke 6 says this, Woe to you if everybody speaks well of you because they spoke well of the false prophets. In other words, if people are always speaking nice about you, maybe you're not doing a good enough job talking about the truth. Because sometimes when you bring the truth up with people in love, um, people tend to make things up about you. It's happened to me. Sure, it'll happen to you. If you start pushing into the truth and talking about Jesus, people just make stuff up. And they don't speak well of you. 
So I don't think you're ever going to get on top of people gossiping about you. But, you know what? We're in charge of the way that we deal with gossip. We deal with it in a godly and a loving way where we don't repay evil for evil, but we do good in the face of evil. You know how awesome it is to give a bunch of flowers to somebody who just has been speaking filthy lies about you? Here, I was just thinking about you this week and praying for you. I just wanted to give you a bunch of flowers. Look out if I come with flowers this week. <laughs> I just wanted to give you these flowers. Yeah. Ah, anyway, um, overcome evil with good. I, I had a meeting with my old pastor and he's going through some rough times at the moment and people have been saying some things he believes is just totally untrue about him. And for the last three months he feels like he's been putting towels into hemorrhaging wounds, just trying to contain the bleeding. He said it is not fun dealing with gossip and malicious lies. It hurts and it causes carnages. It splits churches apart, splits friendships apart, families apart. It is a filthy tool in the devil's hands. Gossip. It really is. But we need to make sure we deal with it and actually turn what the enemy wanted for harm into something even better. We turn it into good. So in the face of gossip, try and turn it back into Satan's face and you go, what? I'm going to do good in this situation. Even though it doesn't seem good, it doesn't seem right or wise, I'm going to choose to be nice. I'm going to choose. It's like even pouring salt in a wound sometimes. You're being nice to someone who you know is just being filthy towards you. But you know what? We're called to love them genuinely. Even not to think about it like that. But we're called to love them genuinely. Last question. Church discipline. They say this book is about church discipline. Um, John 3. I was going to highlight John 18, but I think you guys know the principle of going one-on-one. If you don't sort it out, then going two or three-on-one. If they're not sorting it out, taking the church. And then if that's still not sorted out, excommunicate the brother or sister. You hear about that? That sort of church discipline from Matthew 18. Hope you guys know it. So if you have a problem with someone, don't go, hey, Wade, do you think Amy smells? Like, yeah. Like, Bryce, does Amy smell? Yeah, I think she smells. Blake, I think she smells. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you should go and tell her about it. <laughs> I should go I should go to Amy first. Now everybody's going to go around Amy and go, does she smell? See what gossip does? It's filthy, isn't it? We should have a bro code or a, a, a god code where we go, hey, you know what? I reckon, like, maybe you need to scrape it out under uh, deodorant. Just go one-on-one. If she doesn't listen, <laughs> you get what I'm talking about. Let it go, Brad. We want some food. Um, last one. Okay. Um, if you were the elder, or John in this case, and Diatrophes is saying all this stuff about you, um, church discipline is important. Okay? He's going up there face-to-face to deal with it. Okay, He's, He wants to go out there and deal with this guy who's spreading malicious lies about him, not entertaining people who he sends to steward the truth, his own disciples. He's going to go out and deal with the atrophies, right? How would you deal with him if you were the one, if you were John, going into that situation face to face? How would you deal with somebody 
who is doing those two charges. Talk about it with people around you. How would you deal with it? Alright, 30 more seconds. Alright. How would you deal with it if you were the elder going up to confront Diotrephes? Oh man, that was a very weird laugh. Diotrephes. How would you deal with it? Maybe I can kick out to some of you guys. How would you deal with it? I'm not going to talk about this group because you look like you had a good discussion. Um, how would you deal with it if you were if you were John in that situation? Jaya? So, it's obvious that Diatrophes hasn't done that for John. You see this? He's spread about lies without first coming and dealing with them one-on-one with John. So what's John modelling? He wants to go up there and meet him face to face. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? So you don't lower your standards just because somebody else lowers their standards. You still do what you believe God wants you to do. You go and give them a chance one-on-one. Why? Because you want to restore a brother or a sister. There's There's a heart of love behind this. I hope you're seeing that in in John. He loves these churches, these congregations, so much. He loves them. Even so much so, he wants to go there and straighten this out because he loves them so much. How about over here? Would would anybody else want to share anything about how you'd deal with it if you were John? Yeah, good call. So you can see that Diatrophes here, he'd love to be first. He'd love to put himself first. So sometimes if you're meeting one-on-one with somebody, they can lie about you, can't they? So that's why I think this next step was important. He affirms in this letter that Gaius is somebody who entertains and loves the truth. So he sent this letter to Gaius. He also, at the end of the letter, affirms Demetrius as someone who also stewards the truth. So one one of the things I think he might be doing is setting a platform for other people to come with him later and help settle the problem. You seeing that? Because he's talking to them as people of standing who are known for being truthful people. And he's saying, you know what, these guys are truthful people. I think he's forming a bit of a, a group to go, hey, if he's not going to listen to me, We've got a bit of a group here that we can go and talk to him and confront him with and say, hey, you've been saying these things about me. You've been putting yourself first. That's not the way of the kingdom. You know what? The more and more I lead a church, the more and more I realise that leading it's really hard. Leading people, we are fickle animals. We're not animals at all. We're created and designed by God. Creatures. Can we be creatures? I don't know. We're weird. Mammals. We're weird. And sometimes when you think you stereotype somebody, they go and just burst that bubble on you. And you just don't know what they're going to do or what they're going to say or how they're going to react. We're just weird people. And sometimes we, we respond really well with each other. And sometimes 
One of the truthful things I've ever heard said is that hurting people hurt people. When people are hurting inside, they tend to not know it, but they hurt people around them. Heaps. And we can just be a messy bunch of hurting people sometimes, and we can make a little bit of a mess of it. That's why we need good leaders. That's why we need people who are stewards of the truth, who we know can come in love and try and make sense of the way we relate with each other. You know what, by faith, if God is leading us to be a place where, you know what, tomorrow, revival just hits after our prayer walk. Revival hits and we literally have 4,000 people in Blackheath coming here wanting to know how they can be saved. Let's just say that happens. Has anybody ever thought that that ever happening? That would be cool. 4,000 people are rocking up here tomorrow. I'm calling the 80 or so membership, 90 or so membership of this church going, hey guys, pull a sickie. You better get down here. We need to, we need to do something. And all of a sudden we go, hey, Shane mate, there's 12 guys here. They work in your plant. Can you, can you just teach them everything that Jesus has taught you? Can you just show them how to be Christians and then disciple them? And Mary Ann, there's all these like primary school teachers that are all coming to faith from the primary school down here. Can you like just mother duck them and love them and show them Jesus? And Amanda, there's all these saints. They want to get together and sing about everything. Like, can you just grab them and, and just, I don't know, meet in your house upstairs around the pool table and just sing and share about Jesus? Are you picking this up? And then, if you're having that kind of madness happen, you're going to have a few wheels come off the old red cart, aren't you? You're going to have a few train wrecks around the place. But I think God's really big. He was faithful enough to steward his word here. He's faithful enough to shepherd his church and to call people to come in line with his truth. Unless people want to be proud and put themselves first. You know? He's, he's, he's big. He's big enough. And... I feel like if that was to happen, and we have all these people here representing 10 or 12 small group people in their small groups, wow, how cool would that be? But we're going to have a few train wrecks around the place. So we're going to need a few people who are prepared to be upstanding people of the truth, waiting for that, being prepared for that revival to come. So maybe on... Maybe we pray for revival, I don't know. But are you ready for that? Are you somebody worth discipling somebody? Are you somebody who doesn't gossip about other people but deals with gossip in a godly way? Are you somebody who will deal in leadership positions in a godly way? I hope so. I think you will. I hope you will, by God's grace especially after tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that it's your gospel and it's not ours. And any pride, Father, or anything we would want to boast in anything of ourselves except the cross of Christ, I pray you just put to death in us. Pride is such a vicious mongrel, wanting to take from your glory. And God, I pray that you would just help us put to death the flesh and put to death our 
our, our pride and, and just be so about you in humility, Father. Lord, we, we want to pray your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, my heart is to see a religious revival in this place, God. And Lord, start with us. Help our hearts be prepared to be doing what is right and godly, even in the face of ungodliness. When people want to gossip about us, when people want to malign us, when people want to be selfish and abuse us, I pray that you'd help us to really look to Jesus and his example and that we give each other courage being on mission together here in Blackheath. I pray you'd fill us with your spirit, really empower us to be on mission together, to see revival happen in Blackheath and the upper mountains, and even Lithgow. That'd be cool. God's people said, Amen.